0: Today we're continuing on our message series, The Last Supper on the Moon, as we get into John chapter 9, which is the sixth of seven miracles that we see in the Gospel of John. It's truly fascinating to see through those miracles what God wants to be saying to us and what he wants to be doing through us. You know, you know what's fascinating? If you've ever found your way onto the lunar surface of the moon, you would see the sunlight and sun, sunrise and sunset in a whole different way. Did you know it takes like two weeks for the cycle of the sunrise and sunset on the moon? It takes like a full week just for the sunset to happen, and then you're in darkness for two weeks. It's truly fascinating. You know, in John chapter 9, we run into a story of a man who was blind from birth. And from that moment on, we see a man, we're introduced to a man that saw light for the very first time. And I think through this journey, God's highlighting something to us. You see, sometimes we tend to walk through this world spiritually blind, and we try to navigate it. And through this story, through this miracle, I think Jesus is showing us how we can find the light and how he navigates us through the darkness. You know, when the Apollo 11 landed on the moon, something happened. It was an intense moment when the module, the lunar module, separated from the rocket. And at that moment, they had an extra burst that they didn't calculate for. And that extra burst pushed them a little bit farther. You see, when they were planning to land on the moon, they had their calculations exact because on the surface of the moon, there's all types of craters and bumps and, 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 and cliffs. And they knew they had to land in the exact spot. Because if they landed in the wrong spot, it could mean their life. And so here they were trying to trust their instinct and trust their navigation tools and coming down. When all of a sudden in that intense moment, you heard Buzz, if you listen to the recordings, Buzz is starting to announce through the recordings of Houston, we have dust, we have dust. You see, they've encountered a problem. On the surface of the moon is all this sand and this dust. And I don't know if you've studied your your science books, but gravity on the moon works a little bit differently than gravity here on Earth. And so when the dust comes up, it just kind of hovers. So the lunar module, when it was landing on the moon, for the last 100 yards or so, it was complete blindness. It was in that moment they had to trust their instincts, trust their training, and hope that they had the right spot. Hope that they were landing in the right area. You know, for us, I think there's situations too where we try to navigate through the world and the dust and the junk of the world just kinda comes up and it just kinda consumes us to the point to where we fly blind. We try to navigate this world blind, trusting our own instincts, trusting our own feelings, trusting what we think is right, just trying to move forward. And maybe through this story, maybe through this miracle, God's trying to highlight something for all of us of how we navigate through the blindness to see his light. Look at this story in John chapter 9 that starts in verse 1. It reads, as he went along, that's Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth, His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told them. Washed in the pool of Siloam, which the word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And in that moment, as you continue on in the story, right away everybody began to debate with the man and argue with the man and question the man. How did this happen? Who did this? And they just argued with him. And he says, "I'm the man." They're thinking, "You're not even the same guy. You're someone different. You're you're an impostor." I'm the man. I can't tell you. I don't know why. It was just this man, Jesus. I was blind, and now I see. And they just began to argue and argue and argue. And eventually got to the point where it says the Pharisees cast him out. Don't miss this. Because of what Jesus did in his life, the world rejected him. And then in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you now see him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Through this miracle, we see some key moments that show us the reality of God working through our blindness and guides us on a path towards light. But first, I have to, we have to be honest with ourselves. Sometimes in our journey, we ask the wrong questions sometimes we are just asking the wrong questions. We have the wrong focus. Just before Jesus performed this miracle, if you go back in the earlier chapter, he was surrounded by a crowd of people that were questioning him, that were arguing with him, that was debating with him, that he was the Son of God. Jesus was telling him, I am God. I am the Son of God. I am the Messiah. And they were arguing with him. And it got to the point where they picked up a bunch of rocks and they were about to stone Jesus. And somehow, supernaturally, Jesus found his way through the the crowd and it was in that moment when he's finding his way through the crowd that we get in John chapter 9, the Bible says that he saw this man. Jesus stopped. He saw him. He noticed this man hurting. He noticed this man struggling. He saw him. He saw his needs. I think, friends. I think sometimes we become spiritually blind because we don't see the problems that are all around us. We don't see the problems that are right in front of our eyes. But this, Jesus saw this man and see the important reality here. This miracle happened. This miracle occurred because Jesus noticed him. That's what began this miracle. Jesus saw him. He saw his brokenness. He saw his need. And his disciples, as I read the story, I can only imagine his disciples. I can see their eyes as they're closely in tune with Jesus. They're watching him. And they see Jesus stop and slow down and pause as he fixes his gaze on this man. And the disciples look up to him. And instantly they say and they ask Jesus, Jesus, why is this man like this? Who sinned? Was it him or was it his parents? Who were the naughty ones? Because in that day and time, the the popular belief was if you had some sort of ailment like that, if you have some sort of physical uh, disability like that, then you did something wrong. Either you sinned against God or someone in your household did, and you brought upon it yourself. And through their dialogue, Jesus is highlighting a very important fact here. Sometimes, just like the disciples, we get the wrong focus. And we start to ask the wrong questions, the right question, the one that Jesus was trying to guide them towards, was not try to blame this man for his ailment, but in this situation, what does God want to do in this moment? What does God want to do in the midst of this situation? You know, Our human nature, come on, we're all the same, guys. We're all the same. Our human nature is we constantly look for something or someone to blame when we come into a problem. That begins to shift our focus. Okay, I'm dealing with a hardship. I'm dealing with a heartache. There's a problem. Who or what can I blame? How can I explain this? And we try to wrap everything up into something that we can explain. Something that we can better comprehend. Something that we can understand. But can I give you a quick news flash, guys? You're not God, I'm not God, and we're not going to know everything. We're not. You're right, my man. You're not God, we're not God, and we're not going to know everything. He does. God knows all things. We don't. And we just tend to more and more and more try to create the situation into something that we can explain, something we can understand. And that's exactly what the disciples were doing in this moment. We're faced with a problem because this man brought it upon himself. He did this. He messed it up. You know when President John F. Kennedy stood in front of the whole nation and said, by the end of the decade, we will go to the moon. When he made that proclamation, they did not even have the technology invented to make that possible. He was making an impossible ask. And so in order for that to become a reality, they had to find someone. We got to figure this out. We got to invent something. And there was a scientist by the name of Werner von Braun who was a rocket scientist. He worked for Adolf Hitler, Walt Disney, and now he found himself working for NASA. How's that for a resume? Yeah. So here he was put on task to figure out how to get us there. And he'll even admit, he admitted at the end of his journey that he was wrong. He was wrong because he was asking the wrong question. He asked the question and made everything about his focus on how can we get a rocket off the ground into the universe? How can we get this rocket off the ground? And he was asking the wrong question, and they were going in all different types of wrong directions. They had to figure out something, the right question. The wrong question was how do we get this rocket off the ground? The right question was, how do we get this ship that takes another ship off the ground to the moon so that it can land on the moon? And that's when they developed this. They developed the Apollo rocket ship, which was composed of three components. The command module, the service module, and the lunar module. And they couldn't figure that out until they started asking the right question, and that was, how do we make this happen? They needed a third person who flew another rocket, another ship, around the moon while a second ship was landing on the moon. Their question was faulty. Their focus adjusted when they started asking the right question. How do we make a ship that carries another ship to get to the moon? And that's when they developed that. See, I think this is what Jesus is trying to help the disciples to see here. Their question was off base. Their question was based upon human wisdom of the day. And I think so often we wrestle with that too. We go to God, try to answer our own questions of why things are happening all around us. We try to shift the blame and we based upon, all of our questions are based upon our understanding of human wisdom of the day. And God's saying, you're missing it. You're missing the point. That's faulty thinking. He's telling them, every time you see pain, all you do is you try to shift the blame. Now, understand something here, guys. Here's a very difficult theological reality that we all have to wrestle with and come to grips with. You know, We all think sometimes that people bring upon all the pain upon themselves. And when God created everything that is, when God created all the universe, all the heavens, and all the earth, he created mankind in the Garden of Eden. And when he created everything that was, he said it was all good. It was all good. Think about it. When he created, there was no disease, there was no brokenness, there was no death, there was no heartache, there was no stinking weeds that you had to pull, guys. I mean, I didn't have to burn dinner. It was just like, whoa, there's food. God made everything perfect. But then as you read the story of the early of, of in Genesis 3, you know the story. Adam and Eve went to the garden, and there's one tree when God said, there's, you can have everything but that tree of knowledge. And they won that tree. God, the devil tricked them, thinking, hey, God's holding out on you. That's the heart of sin. We think God's holding out on us, and our pride gets in the way. And they went and they ate that fruit, and they brought sin into the world. And as you see when sin entered the world, you see the slow reality of death, and brokenness, and pain, and sickness, and heartache that just sweeps over the land. See, understand this hard theological reality. Sin is what brought all suffering into the world. Now, while that is true, it is not accurate to assume that whenever we we are faced with a suffering, whenever we are faced with a hardship, that that means you did something wrong that's not an accurate evaluation. Sometimes we face pain because of all the brokenness that has been brought upon in the world. Sometimes that just is the way it is. And that's the hard truth to to accept. Not all suffering is because of your own sin. So the wrong question is, what did, you do to bring, what did you do to bring this upon yourself? That's not the right question. The true so- focus in all of our suffering and every heartache that Jesus is trying to shift their focus to is from that question to the reality of his compassion. His compassion in action. Rather than trying to blame something or someone, it's the heart of compassion that Jesus was modeling. It's the question of, in this moment, In this situation, what does God want to do to release his glory? How does God want to reveal who he is to me and to those around me in this situation? My focus in every moment is to bring the heart of God and his compassion to release his glory. We try to trivialize it but look what Paul writes in Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Look at those words, guys. Paul wrote, for we know in all things, the good days, the bad days, when things go your way and when you're broken down in, in pain and suffering, in all things, God works for the good. Don't miss it of those who love him. God's glory is revealed in a pursuit of him. Of him. He, he says he will bring all things to good. Now don't misunderstand that. Good does not mean I'm going to get the life I wanted. I'm going to get that big house. I'm going to win the billion dollars in the lottery ticket. You know, I, I'm not going to have any pain or suffering. Everybody I love is never going to get sick. That's not the good that he's talking about. He's trying to shift our focus from a man-made, mankind focus to the heart of God. The good, he's saying, is everything of that I created in the garden, all the good that you are supposed to experience there, you will begin to experience that in your life. That's the good. And who will receive the good? All those who love him. All those who make it their life's ambition to pursue him. The more you pursue him, the more you experience him. And that's what we see with this man on this street corner who was just seeking out Jesus on this day. And here's the crazy thing. When God works, sometimes Jesus works through strange solutions. Sometimes he works through ways that just seem ridiculous to us. Guys, I'm sorry for the bluntness. I, I mean, there's no way that I can make this into some theological, really pretty presentation. Guys, Jesus hawked a loogie. He hawked a loogie here, guys. And it was nasty. And so here he was, Jesus spit on the ground. And he made mud from his spit, and he wiped it on this guy's eyes. I mean, think about that. His disciples are probably in that moment thinking, Jesus, you, what what are you doing? That's just gross. What is happening here, Jesus? And as I read the stories, what's fascinating about Jesus is as he's working through this strange way to solve the problem, as you read through all the Gospels, you see all of his miracles. Every time Jesus heals somebody, he never heals the same way. That's fascinating to me. Because I think he's showing something in that journey. You see, it's not about the, 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 what he's using. It's not about the mud or the spit or, or even the fountain he sent them to. It's not about the mechanism. What Jesus is showcasing here, what I think the guy is getting the glimpse of, it's all about his authority. His authority. And do we trust him enough to trust him at his word even when it doesn't make sense to us? I think that's what Jesus is showing in this moment. Do I trust him enough to walk, to take that step when I just don't get it? And this man did. And the Bible says Jesus was in awe of his faith. He marveled at his faith. Here this man was trusting him in the moment when everything just seemed absolutely foolish. And in this moment, guys, in this moment, I think we get a glimpse of the gospel. Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1. But the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to those of us who are being saved it is the power of god jesus showing something here to the world it looks foolish to god to those who follow him it's his power showing up and jesus i think jesus puts this man through the mechanics of these actions he puts these mechanics into place so this man has the opportunity to exercise his faith. To trust God enough to take those steps. Not just, hey, I see what God did. Look what he did. But to trust him enough to put his faith into action to take those steps. I mean, God could have saved us in any way. When we are broken by sin in the way of this world, God could have come through in any way for us. But he came through in such foolish, crazy, ridiculous ways that just seems out of this world. I mean, think about it. To be saved, i got to put my trust and my faith and walk with this man that was born by a virgin that was a carpenter's son. He made tables and, and chairs for a living. That then went and died on this cross and rose from the grave three days later. It sounds crazy. It sounds ridiculous. It just doesn't sound right. It would have been so much easier just to follow him in a different way if he just came through. But my friends, may I present to you the reality of Jesus hanging on that cross? What seems foolish to the world is the reality of God's power shining through. And if you choose him, you will not die, you will live. And you can walk through your life and just keep saying, this stuff just does not make sense at all. It doesn't make sense at all. I I just can't explain it in in my understanding of things. Maybe he really didn't want you to be able to explain it. Maybe he wanted to showcase his power through it. And what's amazing in this story is in the moment of healing, It comes in the going. Healing occurred in the taking that first step. Do you see what the pool was called? The pool that Jesus sent him to, to wash his eyes off, was the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent. And what a beautiful picture that Jesus is highlighting here. When did the healing officially take place? When he finally took the first step to the pool of Salome, the pool that means sent. You see, when the healing happens, when the full power of God is truly realized and seen and experienced, it's when we take the step of trust. I trust you enough, even when I don't get it, even when I don't understand it, I'm going to take that first step. And in that moment, in the first step, the power of God begins to unravel. The power of God begins to come through. And this man realized it. He was taking that first step. God, I trust you enough to walk toward you, even when these relationships don't seem like they're coming together. God, I trust you enough to get into that group, to join that ministry team, to tithe, to take those steps, to trust you enough to do the things that you've called me to do so that I can experience your full power. God's power comes in the moment we are sent. In the moment we take that first step, that's when his healing powers begin to realize. But here's the problem we all wrestle with. We don't take that first step because sometimes we have a a distorted fixation. We allow our focus to get distorted and fixated on other things rather than the reality of God working in our lives. This is a response to the man who just been healed, who just saw light for the very first time. He just woke, opened up his eyes and saw the trees and the sun and the birds. And instantly, the crowd's first response was to argue with him, was to debate him, was to question him, was to say, you're an imposter, you're not really that guy that used to stand there. That's not who you are. And the crowd's response was all about arguing him. And they made the center of their argument was, hey, you know, this guy's not really God because guess what, guess what day it is? It's the Sabbath. He was healing you on the Sabbath. That goes against God. See, he's not really with God. And they made that their fixation. Their fixation was on the rules, on what they could do for God. Their fixation was on the do's, the do's, and the do's. And guys, the more we get focused on the law and the rules, it destroys our soul. It destroys our soul. I mean, can we ever be good enough? Are we ever strong enough to withstand that temptation in our life? Friends, if you live by it, you will die by it. You will die by it. You're going to live a life that's so exhausted, so worn down, and, and we always have this something in us to gravitate back towards it because, it, in some way, it kind of fuels our ego a little bit. Kind of look at me when 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 things are kind of going against me. Well, look, I did this right. I'm following this regulation. I'm following this rule. And Jesus showed something here, something that the Bible reveals. Something we need to understand. And that is this, guys. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. I gotta be honest with you guys. We need a wake-up call. None of us are good. None of us are good. We've all fallen short. But if you're like me, we constantly try to leverage our lives... In such a way of look, what I've done. Look how I'm following all these rules. I'm doing all these right steps. I'm trying to make all these all these uh, regulations in my life, and almost time we leverage our lives for God. So like, hey God, look, I'm doing these right things. So you need to bless me. Look how good I am. I'm not as bad as this guy over here that I saw on Netflix, right? I'm living a pretty stinking good life. So why don't you bless me? Give me the goods. Come through for me. Look what I do for you. And we begin to make ourselves believe that we're actually good. When the Bible says, none of us are. We've all fallen short. We've all sinned. And with that, it just continues to pile upon the pain and the brokenness in the world around us. And Jesus chose to do this miracle on this day, I think, to ruffle the feathers. To show, number one, that I am God. God. And kind of give a wake up call that your your focus is distorted. You're looking at it the wrong way. Religion says do and do and do and fall, but God's at the cross, He says, it is finished. I've done it for you. You walk a life that depends on my trust, on trusting me, not on a life that's dependent on what you think you can accomplish. But we live in a world that's constantly arguing and dividing. Arguing and dividing. Can I just give you some great advice that Paul wrote about in Romans 16? He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way. They are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. There may be people in your world that's constantly trying to look for things to blame. Another thing to argue about or complain about or divide over. Paul said, keep away from them. Their focus is distorted. Their focus is distorted. And all too often, guys, can I just be honest? We as a people get so unfocused, arguing and dividing, that we miss the point. And we should be focusing on the main thing and keeping the main thing the main thing and that's God's compassion thrown through our life that in every situation God how do you want to reveal your glory in this moment how can i be an how can i be a person that reveals your glory in this moment guys we need to live with a renewed vision we need to live with a new renewed vision that sees god working This man had a brand new life. His life was completely changed. He could now see. And the question now was, what will my life look like from this moment on? What does this mean for me? His identity up to this point was all wrapped around being blind, being the beggar on the street corner. And now it was completely changed. Everything he knew was different. That one encounter with Jesus changed everything. Guys, one encounter with Jesus will change your life. Are you hanging out with him? Are you spending time each day just to open up his word and being with him? One encounter with him can transform the situations in your life. And this man, everything changed at this moment. And now the question is, what do I need to do to pursue him more? What do I need to do to change my life? Because if I don't, if I just keep going back doing what I used to do, I'm going to become that same man again, that same person. I have to choose differently now so that my life constantly pursues him that I may experience the goodness that God provides every day of my life. And he said in John 9 25, with people all arguing him, he says, You know what? I don't know anything. All I know, he said in John 9, 25, is I was once blind, and now I see. And it was this man, Jesus. Guys, I hope today you realize that this man's story could very well be your story. The brokenness in your life that you're trying to walk through, the brokenness that has become your identity, doesn't need to be your identity anymore. I hope you see the power that changed this man's life is the same power that can transform your life. That you, just, that you can experience a new way. That you can say, I was once blind, but now I see. And when we take that step, we have to see something too. God invites us and asks us to be an active participant of his glory. In this moment, Jesus was beginning the journey of passing the baton to his disciples. The light is in this world, but one day I will no longer be here, and you are to be the light. Matthew 5, that's what he was just reiterating. Matthew 5, he says, we are to be the light of the world. A city on the hill that no one can can shut up or, or drown out. We are to be that light. Hey, You know what's fascinating? If you would go outside right now and stare at the sun, I promise you, you're going to destroy your eyes. The sun is too powerful. It will burn up your eyes. But if you went out at night and you looked up at the sky and you saw the moon, you could stare at the moon for hours upon hours upon hours. The moon is this beautiful reflection of the sunlight in the darkness. And when Jesus says that we are called to be his light, we are not to be the light. We are to be the reflection of the light. We're to be the moon. We're to be the moon. That in this dark place, a world full of brokenness and pain, that in every situation, God, how do you want to reveal your glory? How can I experience you more in this moment so that... I can experience you in me, your light in me, and that I just become a reflection of you. Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians, as we wrap up in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not us. We have the opportunity. What Paul is saying, we have the opportunity. We have this light in us. We are these earthen vessels in this world. That no matter what comes our way, we have the opportunity to reveal, to be lights in this world, to be the moon. That no matter what happens, we can showcase the reality of His power. It may seem foolish to people, but those are opportunities for God's power to be shown. It's not by my understanding, it's not by my abilities, it's only through Him. We have this treasure. The light in us to be a light in this world. God in us to reveal God to every person we come into talk to contact with. Guys, we're to be the moon. We need to be the moon. And so whatever situation you face in your life, the good days and the bad days, and the days of triumph and the days of great pain, May you, in those moments, shift your focus to Jesus and ask him, God, in this moment, in this situation, how do you want your glory revealed? Show yourself to me and may I be your reflection to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you because of the way you are moving. Lord, help us to experience you more and more in our life. Lord, help us us to be your moon. Lord, forgive us for when we get so focused on trying to explain everything and try to understand everything and and adjust things to, to our own fixations. But Lord, help us to adjust our hearts and our minds to you that we may see your power in us and that we may walk in a way that we may reveal your power through us. Lord, I just pray for each person here. I don't know their situations, what pain they may be facing, what heartaches they may be dealing with. But Lord, I just pray in this moment, they may experience you. They may feel your true love and compassion and power in their life. Like the blind man on that street, they may know and realize that you see them and you love them. And may we run towards you that you may transform our lives, that we may become your light. In your name we pray, amen.